case file number 7.8. Say it ain't an SO. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one. The other one. Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector in the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, man. Hmm? Well, I didn't have a clever way to start this one. Um, <laughs> usually we try and keep the a, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, tamped down here. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to break the fourth wall a little bit. This is the Lost episode. Um, we had one episode that we recorded in the time that would have been season one that the recording never got to the editor um man is that when we recorded this yeah oh, yeah i realized it's been long oh sorry is episode one season two i think i could check the dates but it was pretty early and <laughs> when i found the episode i was going to publish it you know because not a lot had changed at the time. And then I found a couple of things out. One was that there mm-hmm. were some problems with the recording. And two, there are some developments that have happened since the original recording of the episode. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. So I know that I've mentioned this a little bit, but uh, you've heard of the NSO group. Mm-hmm. And you've heard of them because of the software what? Uh, no, I was going to say I've heard of them because of the okay. first podcast. Fair enough. Uh, so they release a law enforcement cell phone uh, malware. Well, complete remote access toolkit is probably a better way of putting it for hmm. iPhone and Android. And that is used for law enforcement and it's called Pegasus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember. Now, they're not the only ones that release this kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about them because just like Cobalt Strike, it's not the only tool mm-hmm. that, that does what it does, but because of various events and kind of the way that the company handled it, they are a case unto themselves. Mm-hmm. So Finn Fisher, the hacking group, Dark Matter, Black Cube, Kenduru are all in this product space. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Pegasus and the NSO group, not because none of those guys have ever been associated with anything uh, unfortunate, but because the NSO <laughs> group has been associated with a lot and we have some extra data on that stuff because there's been some real mm-hmm. drilling into things by journalists, especially since about 2016. Right. We have the infrastructure of the cell phone system. We've talked a little bit about that, where you have the cell phone tower metadata, mm-hmm. which will tell you where somebody was roughly, who talked to who, 
And then you have the Stingray system, which essentially act as false towers. Right. And you can either do exactly what you would with the cell phone tower data, or, and there have been proven instances where they've made this stuff work, um, where they'll decrypt and re-encrypt. And in order to make that, uh, a lot of times to make that work, those were downgrade attacks that are basically, if you're using 5G LTE now, that has not, to the best of my research, been broken at this moment. That doesn't okay. mean it's not a law enforcement capability, but it right. hasn't been presented at a hacker con. 3G has been pretty mm-hmm. well. 4G is is harder to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been done. Advances in the protocols have made it more difficult a lot of times by making the encryption standards more, more robust. Mm-hmm. But they'll still tell you where somebody is. Yeah. Um, and in the US, those all require a warrant. And basically all, all the you know, NATO type powers, well, most of the NATO type powers, I'm not willing to swear that Turkey is this way, have, you know, privacy protections that make that kind of warranted, mm-hmm. warrant driven stuff. But because everything's encrypted, all traffic is nowadays essentially encrypted. Mm-hmm. Um, to get into somebody to really understand who they're talking to, what they're doing, especially with apps like Telegram and WhatsApp, even the things that we're that we're less confident of those are all available if you get all the way on the phone itself right yeah exactly and this is where these tools come into come into play so when was the last time iphone jailbreaking as a as a hobbyist thing was a thing do you think I'm not sure cuz i've always been android um yeah i think the little bit of iphone jailbreaking i've looked into were just for like friends and family um mm-hmm. but i would imagine the last time it was like a major thing with 2018 ish 2017 ish as a thing that users could do to themselves uh, i have it down as about 2011 oh really like a, as a thing that you could do i'm not saying that there haven't been vulnerabilities there have mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times they're used by these folks they keep them secret rather than releasing them to the public before oh, yeah. they're patched and stuff. Because the iPhone signs everything, right? With uh, yeah. specific... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be able to replace the keys. Mm-hmm. That's the whole trusted platform, trusted computing. You know what? I was just thinking what my next step, what I should do for some episodes after this, because we're, we're out of a lot of the things. Maybe I should just do an episode strictly on trusted computing. Yeah. Anyway, you need to be able to bypass sandboxing. And that means getting an application running in the root ring. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you need to be able to bypass software signing. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you can basically assume that law enforcement has the tools. If they have physically access your device, that they have the ability to put their rat on it. Right. But there have been several instances in the past where vulnerabilities existed that would allow a no-touch or near-no-touch uh, rooting of a phone, like the sending uh-huh. of a link that gets clicked f- clicked on and stuff like that. Right. Um, was, um, like, I know it hasn't, hasn't passed yet, but the thing going down, um, you know, in the courts of TikTok and everything like that, uh, the, I think it's Restrict, that act that they're trying to pass. I remember reading, like, one that there's something in there mostly about VPNs and how uh, using a VPN to download software that the United States deems illegal would be, like, a principal offense but another one was that like companies like apple and others would have to have keys available 
so like we never run into the same circumstances. Was that like 2018 where um, there was an iPhone recovered from like a mass shooter or someone and uh, Apple refused to unlock it? Yeah. They would have had to compromise their kernel in order to be able to get the decryption key. Mm, yeah. So apparently like Congress is writing into this. It's the Patriot Act on steroids. Um, the law to kind of require these companies to give them all of these keys. I haven't looked through the exactly how all this works, but I do know how basically drive encryption type stuff usually works. Mm. And what they usually do is use local asymmetric keys to encrypt asymmetric key that can rotate. Mm. To break that, you have to basically make a law enforcement key. This is actually quite similar to some of the stuff we talked about in one of the Crypto Wars episodes. Mm -hmm. And I think that my points in that situation still apply, where every time we've had that kind a key management system that has a mechanism like that, where right. you have and a long-term escrowed key mm -hmm. has like we have several examples of that being the primary weakness yeah yeah exactly and like again like i haven't read the entire act itself i'm just going mm -hmm. off of secondhand information from like news outlets but that was enough like for vpns too it was um a vpn i want to say manufacturers um but entities vendors, vendors yeah. yeah um would have to have a yeah like law enforcement key so that they could come in at any time and tap in to see what was going on. And again, uh, and I know that I've already been over this, but like this is the whole the whole point of some of the mechanisms we had of like portfolio forward secret secrecy mm. is to stop that kind of thing from from being able to happen. Yeah. I wonder where this is going to go. I don't think it's good for the technology. No, no, not at all. It's not even whether or not you necessarily trust law enforcement and they've given us reasons to doubt that but it's more like you are compromising the security of the technology by doing this and creating a lot more overhead for everybody who's running stuff yeah, and, yeah exactly and like that's been a problem for for me because that's the same problem that i think needs a lot of fighting against in the credit card industry mm -hmm. again i did a couple episodes on that already mm -hmm. um, so i don't have to go down that that rabbit hole I have a whole new set of rabbit holes over here on my other <laughs> screen. Um, so the first person we're going to talk about is a guy named Ahmed Mansour, a human rights activist from the United Arab Emirates. And he's been an activist for um, human rights, free speech, internet rights in UAE and other Islamic countries. Let's just put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. There's other adjectives, but like we're reasonably sure you, we all know who I'm talking about. Right. So he is known as the Million Dollar Dissident. In 2006, he had a blog that came to UAE's attention where he successfully campaigned for the release of two people jailed for social, comment, uh, for social comments. Now, this was not like a pardon. This is what's called uh, presidential amnesty, hmm. which is okay. a lot like commuting a, sense, a sentence. Hmm. It does not absolve guilt. It's okay. basically, hey, we're going to let you out because we're such nice guys. Don't do it again. Right. Yeah. It's not even we let you out because you deserve it. You weren't treated fairly. No, no. It's we're, we we let you out because we felt because like we're it. such nice mm -hmm. because we're such nice guys. Yeah. But at the same time, they did this. So like the whole kind of no admission of guilt thing. 
the UAE prime minister had issued an order not to jail journalists in relation to their work. This is mm. back in 2006. There's reason to believe that didn't stick great. Right? <laughs> um, in 2011, he was one of five UAE intellectuals that launched a petition in March uh, 2011 for democratic reforms in the Emirates. Mm. Um, they were all arrested in June of 2011. Oh, uh, accused of uh, publicly insulting UAE leadership. And they were held for eight months um, before being re released on this on presidential amnesty again. Mm. They weren't journalists. They were activists. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that that's better. But anyway. Right. Yeah. So he'd been targeting from about that point on for various law enforcement observation of his stuff. Mm -hmm. We're going to concentrate on mostly what happened to his cell phone, but they did a bunch of stuff. Mm, okay. In 2011, they they targeted him with a spear phishing email that was a disguised exe one of finfisher's tools at mm. the time he was targeted again in 2012 with a compromised doc file using a hacking team tool <laughs> but apparently they didn't find the right tool until 2016 when they sent him a text messaging link that was supposed to install pegasus mm, okay now at that point in time he'd been hit so many times that he didn't do it he actually called up the citizen lab which is a in the university of toronto a a, a lab that is specifically about doing cybersecurity investigation around human rights mm, okay that's what they're focused on and they've made a bit of a business about tracking down pegasus for one <laughs> pegasus stuff for one thing anyway so in doing that they revealed multiple zero-day exploits cve 2016 46 55 56 and 57. okay one of them was a webkit vulnerability that popped safari mm. from execution of a malicious website to allow remote code execution mm -hmm. okay and then using that remote code execution they used a couple of kernel vulnerabilities to jailbreak the phone mm -hmm. It caused the phone to reboot, completed installation, and put in rootkit and kernel level hooks in order to maintain persistence and reach out into all the applications that they needed to manipulate. Right. Now, the thing about this is that for every application they wanted to observe, they needed to have like a separate hook. <laughs> you need to have a hook for WhatsApp, Telegram, whatever. Right, yeah. Now, that might make you think, that if something's obscure enough, they wouldn't have a hook for it, and maybe you'll get around it. Yeah, you'd think. The problem with that is that you have that the adoption problem that seems to keep coming up like over and over in our episodes, where if you don't have enough people that use it, you have the, this kind of free communication problem. You could keep like a very custom thing within a small group of people, but mm -hmm. if you're trying to talk to people without having them, you know, adopt your communication method, you need to adopt the thing that everybody's using. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like using like Google Hangouts or like Ventrilo back in the day for like chatting and stuff. Right. If you're not on the right platform, you don't even exist. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and because of that, that adoption problem of like you're, once something gets well enough used, there's going to be a hook for it. Yeah. Security through obscurity. Yet another time that it doesn't work. <laughs> So the zero-day vulnerabilities that allowed for this iPhone rootkit, which is called uh, Trident, um, mm -hmm. 
because three vulnerabilities. I know we're 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 real creative here in the hacking world. <laughs> are estimated to have been worth about a million dollars mm. because a similar set of vulnerabilities with a similar set of capabilities had sold for a million dollars previously. So that is why he's called the million dollar dissident. Now, Apple, to their credit, between realizing that these exploits uh, existed to releasing a patch, mm-hmm. according to reporting to release of patch was 10 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is kind of a big deal, yeah. especially since you realize that like lots of organizations that pay people a lot of money and buy lots of phones are using Apple phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So this is industry protecting itself, mm-hmm. but like they didn't try and do what we've seen from time to time by various companies of ignoring that the problem exists. Right. Yeah. They made it happen to their credit. Mm-hmm. So this this exploit chain was was demonstrated in Black Hat Europe in 2016 by Seth Max and Andrew from Lookout. I just wanted to make sure I did the the call out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all based on the analysis from Citizen Lab and the University of Toronto, Lookout and Divergent Security, and some other individual contributors. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of work that went into this, um, and the technical breakdown, which we'll have in the show notes, is one of those really good technical things of walking you all the way through how everything works. Right, yeah. He managed to mostly duck this, but it wasn't awesome for him. <laughs> He was beat up in the street at about the same time. His bank accounts were emptied. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2017, he was arrested for cyber crimes uh, and held in solitary confinement and denied access to a lawyer. Uh, The UN describes this as a direct attack on legitimate work of human rights and defenders in the UAE. He is currently serving 10 years in prison. You know what? I'll admit, I didn't check up on whether or not he's still serving that sentence from when I originally wrote this. Um, So he's known as a million dollar dissident. It's a prominent case and we know a lot about what happened, but he's not the only one. Right. We'll get to the Pegasus project, which has a lot of leaked information about this, but first let's talk a little bit about the NSO group itself. just update uh, according to Amnesty International. Yeah, that's the the latest update was Amnesty International 2022 is that he's still held in confinement. Darn it! Let, <laughs> behind the curtain, saw us checking things live, <laughs> live on tape. Um, anyway, so the NSO group was started by three ex-Israeli intelligence core uh, core unit um, 3200 members, and this is like their advanced intelligence unit they're highly skilled very sought after there was actually a really inter- a really interesting and kind of funny article uh i i read that was uh that it's a super secret uh unit but some of the people who especially like right before they're going to leave were putting on their linkedin account that they worked in the unit and roughly what they did because they were so highly recruited mm-hmm. <laughs> like security in their security i but Super really? secret, super secret. But yeah, you know, I mean, come on, I got to put food on the table. Get hired. Yeah. Uh, well, there was another article that I didn't read about some kind of a working conditions pushback by the reservists that worked in Unit uh, thirty two hundred or eighty two hundred. Mm. Sorry, eighty two hundred. I don't oh, know okay. if I mis- misspoke earlier. Um, but so the the three members are Neev Kamari, Shalev, Julio. Julio uh, and Omari Lavi. 
and they their first names start with N, S, and O, and that's where the company got its name from. That makes sense. They're based out of Tel Aviv. It's a little weird because I didn't see something that specifically said it, but articles about stuff all seem to be Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Pegasus is law enforcement invasion software. It's considered restricted export uh, uh, and requires an export license. Oh, okay. Like all of the ITAR munition stuff that we talked about, we talked about in the in the um, the all of the same laws that restricted the export of cryptography in mm-hmm. the Crypto Wars episodes. Uh, and I think that was episode two as well. Yeah. Um, is Israel's similar laws where this is considered like dangerous and therefore you can't just sell it to anybody. You have to get granted an export license. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you believe this, that these tools are are kosher. And again, I believe kind of a catch-as-catch-can kind of thing. Um, they're allowed to try. Mm-hmm. This is what you would hope for from a responsible state to make sure that not everybody who has a grudge can get a, a good cell phone root kit. Right, um, yeah, yeah. And I think, based on things that we've seen, that it's very likely that Pegasus has been used for its intended purpose of the investigation of organized crime, uh, international crime, terrorism, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I have no problem believing that it has been used for those things. Right. But it also has been used for the surveillance of journalists and human rights activists and dissidents. Mm-hmm. To give kind of a greatest hits or worst hits, however you want to talk about it. In 2018, Amnesty International had several members of its staff uh, spied on in Saudi Arabia. Mm. In 2017, journalists, anti-corruption, human rights activists reportedly without a required court order, uh, including some lawyers that were looking for 43 students that disappeared and advocates of the Mexican soda tax. Oh, really? You've heard about the, um, this is a couple of mayors ago at this point, but the uh, the New York oh, soda tax. We, oh, that was um, de Bellagio, right? De Bellagio is what came up in my head, but I was like, is that the current guy or is that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think de Bellagio was the soda yeah, tax but guy. Yes. So these were advocates of a similar kind of soda tax in Mexico. Oh, uh, okay. Which, you know, whatever you feel about the soda tax, that feels like maybe they're driving the use of this a, a little hard. Mm, yeah. In 2019, in Pakistan, um, over 1,400 people for a two-week period, including uh, Pakistani government officials, and in 2019, this uh, this is another kind of this is another kind of crazy one. Um, there were several activists, journalists, and bureaucrats, but one of them, kind of the to me, this is just the one that crawl that gives me the creeps the most. A female employee of the Supreme Court of India and her family because she accused the former Justice Rajan Gagoli of sexual harassment. Oh wow! It's not just like it's like personal attack kind of stuff rather than even just dissent. Right. Yeah. Um, there's the assault against women thing. And that's the problem. It always is, but also the nature of the, of the individual pettiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then uh, the last one I'll mention is Al Jazeera, the, the news organization in mm-hmm. 2020, two of their London based uh, reporters and 32 of the journalists in Qatar. Oh, wow. In 2014, they merged with a group called Circles. And what okay. Circles does... So remember, at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about like cell phone tower data. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, what Circles does is they gather and collate participating 
which is, you know, everybody they're interested in, telephone companies, um, cell phone tower data, mm-hmm. or all the location data, all the stuff that basically the NSA wasn't supposed to be collecting, they collect that for everybody who participates in their stuff. Right. So like the idea is that you have all the network data and you can coordinate that with all with the data of any of the target of any of the targeted systems that you've got the whole your rat on. Yeah. That was basically the idea. So you have all the phone location data and the direct stuff. Um, now, Circles is based out of Cyprus. And Cyprus is a tax haven international banking center. It has a reputation for having a lot of the uh, Russian oligarchs money mm. offshore. In fact, there was a bit of a kerfuffle at one point when, when Cyprus who were having some financial troubles were talking about using taking a haircut off of international depositors deposits to uh, refill their coffers right <laughs> and there's a lot of pushback to that mm-hmm. um the merger between circles and nso has been troubled and the cypress-based offices have been reportedly closed so this is probably the thing that got them in that really turn the tables on on the NSO group. After the fact analysis of the Jamal Khashoggi killing, mm-hmm. where he was lured by Saudi Arabians, I, I'm not talking out of turn on this one. This has been reported in the Washington Post that basically Saudi intelligence lured him back to a spot where they could kill him and get rid of his body. Yeah, yeah. Pegasus was verified to have been used on his phone. Mm. And in April 2019, they froze their deals with Saudi Arabia over this scandal. Um, About that time, the Pegasus project was leaked to Forbidden Stories. 50,000 phone numbers were leaked related to NSO and Pegasus. Mm -hmm. Um, They had phone numbers associated with politicians, human rights activists, journals, and lawyers. Now, NSO Group said that some of this were just basically we had cell tower data on them. We did, you know, the basic uh, cursory investigation. But Citizen Lab did uh, a sample, and it was like thirty-seven out of forty of them had evidence of Pegasus having been on their phones. <laughs> okay. So I mean, that's a sample, mm-hmm. but uh, really high true positive rate. So yeah, it's very high for just a random sample. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that at this point we can. With all the research I'm doing, I'm going to say that they are perfectly competent to do that kind of investigation. Mm-hmm. Citizen Lab, that like that, that that I take what they've discovered as authoritative. Right. Yeah. Targets all over the world continue to fit the pattern of Pegasus being used to target uh, political and human rights targets. Mm-hmm. Um, more than a dozen former head, former or present heads of state were listed. Uh, countries implicated include Azerbaijan. Hungary, India, Italy, Mexico, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, most of which we've given examples earlier in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. At the time of this recording, just like a week or two ago, there was another basically one-click, zero-click kind of exploit Mm. released related to the the NSO group. As of like uh, April 18th, 2023, there were three different exploits that are zero or one click that were able to strike iOS 15 and 16 mm-hmm. phones. But not all is well 
with the NSO group right now. Um, hmm. Their CEO stepped down about a year and a half or so ago, and they've been having a lot of problems since then. They were raided by the Israeli government in 2021 oh, okay. um, in relation to a lot of this stuff, uh, and their export licenses have been really cramped up. Mm -hmm. There are reports of the company itself running out of cash. Mm, okay. So they may fail due to all the international attention, maybe even by the publish of this episode, although I don't think it's going to be quite that. Um, what I think is going to actually happen is they're going to merge with somebody else mm. one way or another. Um, right. That's the kind of thing that's likely to happen. But it is important to note that their public profile and the number of times they've come up probably negatively affected their business. Oh, that makes sense. And I think that that's something that we should keep in mind. It's difficult to know what's going to stop this kind of thing because, well, I don't know that this kind of thing ever stops, but we know that vectors get more and more difficult to implement. Mm -hmm. But I'm not confident that we're, that even in the walled garden of the iOS world, uh, let alone Android, do you get to the point where we're not going to have to worry about uh, law enforcement rats on our systems? And mm -hmm. I guess what I'm really saying, and I feel like I'm getting more political as 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 we like really dig into this stuff, but oversight of law enforcement, which is a thing that's come up in previous episodes, is really important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in many ways. The episode you did on the church committee mm -hmm. was really eye-opening because like, I was vaguely aware that a lot of that stuff happened at one point. I didn't realize it happened basically all at once. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's a distinct lack of oversight. I mean, case in point, you know, this is a politics uh, podcast, but all of the information that has come to light in the past two weeks of uh, just Justice Clarence Thomas uh, receiving, like, basically bribes yeah. from a billionaire. Yeah. And the necessity and the way that the checks and balances work in the United States um, Constitution, assume that. Yes. Assume that getting to the rarefied air of being a Supreme Court justice means that your judgment and your personal values are such that you aren't corruptible mm -hmm. and you're not holding grudges and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And a, a term that that I used to hear a lot but haven't heard in the last very much in the last 12 years or so is the idea of the appearance of impropriety. Where it's not just did you do it, but could anybody even sniff around it to say you could have done it? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like that standard, nobody even talks about that standard anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that, that's out the window. <laughs> yeah, I've said it before. I think that it's very important that government function well. The reading I've done about the international world where governments don't function mm -hmm. or function poorly make me a lot more afraid of a world without a reasonably functioning government. And as we continue to get more and more technological capabilities, I don't think that that means less government. I mm -hmm. think that that means more limitations on the power that is exercised outside of the government world. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, like listening in on our telecommunications is a canary in the coal mine. And even if we can be confident at this point that in America, we're not having Continental Pro kind of problems. Mm -hmm. Although 
there are things that make me less confident that than I would have been a few years <laughs> ago about that. Mm -hmm. um, we know that it is happening in other places and not necessarily the places Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, where we might expect that level from a from having a, a history and tradition of a lot of social control. Right. But it's also happening in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A society that is it's they're not far from us, but they're also not hugely dissimilar from us. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't have a joke to end this one with. <laughs> Find out about new episodes at R slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.